It's autumn, 1929. In northeastern Germany, nine-year-old Helga Misus, a third-generation Latter-day Saint, attends Sunday school in the Tilsit branch. The priceless value of Helga's personal history, as it is included in Saints, is next in chapter 19, The Gospel of the Master. This is Saints, Volume 3, the podcast. Welcome to the Saints Podcast. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm James Perry. Joining us today, we have Lark Evans Galley, a folklorist and biographer of one of the characters in this chapter. And Jed Woodworth, welcome back, the managing historian of the Saints Project. We're so glad to have you two today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, Jed, we are making progress through the book. Here we are in chapter 19. It's all rather exciting. Now, you are in this privileged position, as it were, where you had this opportunity to be so heavily involved in not just researching and writing the book, but thinking about how it was structured, thinking about the kinds of stories that needed to be included. I wonder if you could tell our listeners about some of the challenges that you faced or some of the problems that you overcame during the project. Sure. Great question. As we plotted volume three at the outset, we knew that we needed stories that were set in other countries. The reason why this is especially important in this volume is that this is the beginning of the church setting up and not leaving various places. So in the 19th century, of course, we have a gathering doctrine where the presidents of a church ask saints who converted around the world to emigrate to the Great Basin. In the early 20th century, this is stopped for a variety of reasons. So the congregations are being built up around the world. And so we knew that we needed some really solid stories in Europe, especially because the volume ends with the Swiss temple being dedicated. So we looked around and I had the charge of trying to outline the volume. Of course, I turned to the collections here in the library and I just was not finding a strong German character. And we wanted a German character who we could take for quite a while, a number of scenes, someone that we could show through the course of a lifespan. And I just wasn't finding the character here. And it was so frustrating to me because we have the best collections in the world for our church, naturally, but I was not seeing it. And so when that happens, when all of your efforts come to naught, you have to turn to other methods. And so I began praying about this matter. And I felt that I should go to BYU and look for a story there. I didn't really have time during the work week to do this. And so I asked my wife, can I take Saturday afternoon and go to BYU? And I did this week after week looking for various characters. But on this particular day when I was in the Lee Library in Provo, I went to the biography shelf that has Latter-day Saint biographies which I did every time that I did this. And I was reading systematically the shelf. And I came upon a memoir called Under a Leafless Tree, the story of a young girl in East Prussia. I started reading this. and Immediately, I was compelled by the pictures. There are so many pictures in this book. But I was mesmerized by the story. And I knew immediately after reading for 15 minutes that this was the person that we needed to feature in the volume. Thank you for sharing that, Jed. And I know that 
this is one of many stories that we as historians have almost been led to. I appreciate your willingness to sacrifice your time to try and find the right story. And we're so fortunate today because Lark is the one who helped Helga write her autobiography. So Lark, how did you meet Helga and become involved in recording her story? Well, I have known Helga almost all of my life. Not long after she emigrated, she moved into our ward with her young family. And I was about the age of her youngest daughter. And my dad thought it would be great if we learned a little German and one of her daughters helped us with the ironing. So there was a little bit of time when we had one of her daughters in our home, but I didn't learn German and that period ended. However, years later, I heard Helga in the same ward telling stories of her youth about Hitler, about bombing raids and these tremendous experiences about miracles. And so I would just ask her every so often, when are you going to write your story? You've got to write this story because I couldn't stand the thought that this incredible story would be lost. Uh, and she just gave me excuses. She was busy. I mean, she was only in her 80s, so she was very young. <laughs> and she said, I've got to sew this. I've got to do my gardening. I have a temple appointment. I have a book group. I'm going to be traveling. And so she put me off every time. And finally, she was called to be my visiting teacher. And I said, aha, I'm coming to your house when you visit teach me because she would never miss visiting teaching, of course. So I'm coming to your house and we'll put a microphone on you every time I visit. So that's how we got started. That's such a neat connection. So Lark, Helga is this fascinating character that we're being introduced to in this chapter. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about how she reacted when you were asking her questions. Was this something that she enjoyed doing? Did she come to appreciate telling you these stories or was there great resistance the whole way through? This is a great question. She, as many people do, underestimated the power of her story. And at first she thought she needed to start when she was born and remember every little detail who she was related to everywhere she'd been, and it was tedious for her. She tried writing it, and it just couldn't happen. And so she was very self-conscious. People wouldn't want to know these details, but we kept going. She hated to hear her own voice on recordings. It was a very difficult transition, but one of the things that I know helped us, just like it helped Jed, was we prayed every time we got together that she would remember the details she needed to remember and that brought a great spirit. And over time, as she focused more on telling her stories rather than all the details, and she began to enjoy it. And our meetings together became very precious. So it took a while and she always protested, nobody's going to want to know my story. And I always assured her exactly this, Helga, thousands of people will hear your story. But I didn't know how it would be. That was certainly true, if, if not even more, maybe millions, who knows how many will read the book. But thank you so much for going out of your way to try and record this story. In church history, we sometimes say no record, no history. And people can have great stories, but if it's never written down, it's never preserved, they're lost. Could I make an observation on that, James? Yeah, you go ahead. So when we read saints, I think some of us are apt to say, these are the words of someone who on their own preserved them. They wrote them down or they had a recording made and then they transcribed the words themselves. 
But I think one of the things that's so powerful about this story that Lark has shared with us is that people need help and that we should be moved upon by the Spirit and follow those promptings to help other people to get their stories down. And it could be that as sons and daughters, we need to help our parents, or it could be that we're in the role of a minister, as Lark was, or Helga was, to help someone in our ward. Maybe it's a family history consultant in our ward where we have this call and we're not sure what to do. Well, you can go and find someone if you have the determination and the drive. And it's just amazing to me, had it not been for Lark and her determination to see this story to fruition, that we would not have it. You know, Helga would have gone to her grave with these stories and her children would have them, but no one else would. This is one of the reasons why I'm so glad that Lark is here, because I think this story is extremely powerful. Not just Helga's story, but Lark's story. Thank you, Jed. May I make another comment about why it was important to me? I realized not long after launching into the project that it was the story of a town and the story of a branch and the story of people who, not to be a spoiler, but would not survive the war. And that made it even more meaningful because these people could never tell their story. And this town is now a completely different town. They speak a different language there. It's in a different country. To me, that was really special to be able to capture a moment in time, especially with Latter-day Saints, and preserve it. So I need to make another comment on the structural level. One of the things we were looking for in the German character is we were trying to show a branch somewhere in Germany. We had no preference where. And we wanted to show a certain leadership transition. So in the late 1920s, John A. Woodso, who's an apostle of the church, he was born in Norway and is the mission president in Europe. And one of the very first things he does is he releases all of the young elders from branch leadership. They had been serving as branch presidents. And he said, actually, the Europeans need to be leading their own branches. How would we ever get a temple here if we don't have leadership that is being fostered on the local level? And so in 1929, a whole spate of new leaders come in. And we were hoping our German art could do this for us, could show a local leader. But once again, we weren't able to find a branch president or a Relief Society president who was called. But when I found Helga's memoir, what I saw is that she speaks quite a bit about her branch president, Otto Scholska. And she has great affection for him, even though he's a stern man. And we see some of that in this scene in chapter 19. But really what you're getting in this story is you're getting the story of a branch and how you can carve out a little bit of Zion in the midst of a very difficult, dark world. So in their case, it was national socialism exists. They're surrounded by a political structure that they don't agree with. And yet they still, as a branch, are functioning together on a small level, being able to worship Christ as they choose. I love both of those things that you both mentioned that it was more than just Helga. It was the branch. It was the branch president. I think that's perfect. And some of the stories in Saints, they work, but we're perhaps using thinner material than in some of the other stories. Other stories, such as Helga's, because of the work of, of Lark, we have this abundance of material. We're not scratching to try and find details. So this is an incredibly rich arc 
her story and we're going to follow her throughout the years. And not just in a small way. I mean, what's remarkable is, again, going back to Lark's contribution, Helga is the second most frequent point of view character in this book. And the only one who has more scenes is Heber J. Grant. Again, that's amazing. It's a miracle that Lark was able to follow those promptings and not give up when she got resistance from Helga and get the memoir published. That's incredible. I had no idea that she was one of the voices of the entire volume. That's incredible. Twelve scenes. And space is a premium in the book. And so we are giving space to the most important stories. And I think that just goes to show the significance of this young German sister's story, that she is occurring as much as a president of the church. It's really important, I think, to have the viewpoint of men and women, older and younger. And we often hear men's stories, but Helga's story is the story of a community in the way that she saw it, the way that she interacted with her community as a woman, as a niece, and a sister. And she focuses on different things than perhaps another person might. And that's another reason why I felt it was so important to grab her story while she could tell it. There are two things that are beautiful about the story. The first is Helga's own story, her story of faith, her story of sacrifice, her story of persistence. The second thing is how Lark, you as an American Latter-day Saint, was able to work with a lady who comes from Eastern Germany, and your armed forces and her armed forces were fighting against one another. And I don't know if you had relatives involved in the war, but it's this beautiful example of how the gospel and how a desire to preserve faithful stories of Latter-day Saints can be a healing bridge. It can overcome things such as the horrors of a world war. Absolutely. We found so much more in common, things that we could relate to as women from different generations, different countries, and arguably historically enemies. The gospel itself was a great unifier. And of course, I felt nothing but gratitude and empathy for who she was and where she'd been. Well, again, Lark, we're so fortunate to have you here today and give a little bit more background to Helga for this chapter. It really helps to set the scene for just her remarkable story that we're going to enjoy for the next many chapters to come. And since you helped Helga write her autobiography, we would love to hear more from you about Helga's childhood and the types of conditions that she grew up in. Sure. I just can't believe that Helga was born right in 1920. It sets her right between the world wars. She comes of age right at the beginning. She's 19 in 1939. As she's starting to see action, her father had already served in World War I. And she's born in a very difficult time. She's born in a time of political upheaval in Germany, changing of government, changing of perspective in so many ways and a great deal of suffering after the loss in World War I in Germany. She likes to talk about how the incredible inflation at this period of time. So a person's life savings could be valued less than the cost of a subway ticket, for example. But this becomes a force that moves her family situation in interesting ways. She and her parents move in with her grandparents, her mother's parents. 
And then an aunt and her husband are married the same year as her parents and move in and she's born and then a brother is born and then they have a child. And this creates this very close family situation that she loved. She loved to be with family surrounding her. And I think we can look to this period of time to see how important that was to her. I think it's kind of funny, too, that her mother was expecting a boy. And Helga always felt she was not that welcome. Her mother didn't even have a girl's name. So she wasn't born in the ideal circumstances, but she's born into a wonderful family in a lot of stress. And that provides fodder for an interesting life. It's really interesting to see, particularly with her family being members of the church, how they have this incredibly close family, which is extended again to this family atmosphere within the branch. As we read, their family is obviously very important to the congregation as well. So one of the reasons why Helga worked for us as a character is that she is not a first-generation convert. She is a third-generation Latter-day Saint. And one of the things we wanted to show in this arc is that in various countries around the world, we're now starting to build up congregations that have multi-generational families. And so when I saw that her grandmother had converted right at the very beginning of the book, I was very intrigued because we just couldn't have someone who was joining the church to illustrate congregations accumulating in strength. Thank you, Jed. I think it's really important to show that the church is developed in different areas. And we know that Germany in the 20th century is actually, for Europe, becoming a place of strength. And we've got President Schulzger, we've got other German Latter-day Saints who are serving in different capacities. Now, Lark, I really love this scene of the congregation working together. We've got lessons, we have music, we've got sacrament meetings. It's a busy community. There are many things going on. We learn here that her family and her extended family belong to the church, but that there's perhaps these varying degrees of activity in the church. I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit more about her family's connection to the gospel and perhaps some of the ways that her family were connected or serving in the church. Sure. A little bit of background about how they first came into the church. Her grandmother, Voxmud, um, Johanna Hoffman Voxmud, was a younger woman when she met the missionaries in a different town than Helga was born in. And the missionaries said they would come back, but they never did. <laughs> and so then in another time, years later, she ran into some neighbors who were members of the church. With these neighbors, she became very interested, and Helga's mother was fascinated as well. She and her sisters, in fact, used to go to Mutual on Wednesday nights. but. Their father, Helga's grandfather, was not pleased that they would meet with the Mormons at that time because he had heard about them and was afraid that they would just take his lovely daughters and marry them off to somebody in America as a plural wife. So there was some resistance to that. But eventually, he also joined the church and Helga's family became integrated more and more. And as the generations came along with her aunts, and the men that they married, her uncles, in the church. It was always the case in her family that the aunts were more involved than the uncles. They were more converted, Helga felt. And so they became 
integrated in the branch, these ants in writing plays, directing music, participating in lessons. And as her cousins, except one uncle as well, he was also very much converted to the gospel and involved in branch activities. And we see that uncle in this scene, Heinrich, who is leading the Sunday school for a time. Yeah. Well, and Lark, obviously you, with working with Helga, were able to gather these memories, these stories, but there must have been other sources that were used in writing the story of Helga for saints. And Jed, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what other sources you drew upon to record her story. Sure. The scene that we have in chapter 19 is based on a Sunday school minute book that we have here in the library. And it represents really quite a sad phenomenon, namely that most of the German local records, by local records, I mean Sunday school minutes or sacrament minutes or young men's or young women's minute books, they end in 1929. And you can imagine why that is. It's because there's a worldwide depression that breaks out in the fall of 1929, and therefore it becomes too expensive to transport those minute books back. So during the 1930s in Germany, there's a political change, and so it becomes even harder to export information to the United States. Then there's a world war that occurs, and many of these minute books are destroyed. And so the very last record that we have of Tilsit Branch as an official unit is 1929. It's this Sunday School Minute Book. And so when you open it up, there's this beautiful script written onto a pre-printed page. So it's, it's got a line for the prayer and who's conducting and who is playing organ or piano and the songs that they have and how many people they have attending and so on. So the script is written by the Sunday School secretary, who is a young woman, about 17 years of age. It's in German, and it's in an old German script, which I could not read. However, because it's on a pre-printed page, you can find English versions, I mean, everywhere in the church around the world, the same page is the same. The information on it is different, but the form is the same. So I was able to use this to reconstruct what Sunday school is like in the branch. And so the parts I was not able to read, I sent to a senior missionary named Sylvia Ghosh, who is from Switzerland, and she is proficient in old German script. On that basis, we were able to write this scene. I have to say one more thing. Again, this is probably going far afield, but when I discovered Helga's memoir, I couldn't imagine that she was still alive because this is 2016 and I could see that she was born in 1920. So I went online and I found Lark's address and I dropped by her house one afternoon and knocked on the door and I explained who I was. And I said, I have many questions in addition to this memoir, which is so beautiful. And Lark said, well, why don't you ask Helga? She lives just around the corner. <laughs> And I couldn't imagine that at 96, Helga was still alive. So that then began a relationship where Lark and Helga and I and one of our writers, uh, Melissa Leilani Larson, spent some hours together. And we were able to get clarification on questions that we had, knowing what scenes we wanted to plot once we studied the memoir and we started to imagine various scenes we then would go and ask her follow-up questions. And so these interviews became essential 
in addition to what Lark had given us. Well, when did she die? Helga died in October of 2018, a couple of years later. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so even in other settings, I developed a friendship with Helga. And so I would, this is so sad for me because I, I didn't know about Helga's death. And I was so sad that I could not attend her funeral. But what I was going to say is that many times as I was driving into work, I would stop by her house and I would drop by some aspect of German history that I knew she would be interested in, something I was discovering that would help write our scene. And she was always so accommodating, so interested in what we were doing. And I really loved her. I really appreciate hearing from both of your perspectives as someone who knew her really well. And it makes me sad that she didn't feel like she had much to contribute. And it's so incredible how much she went through, how much she offered through her personal story and also about the branch. Like Jed, you mentioned, she brought so much information about that branch at the time that we would not otherwise have. And I'm just thinking most of our readers are not historians. We're not authors or writers. And I'm just wondering, what do we do if we know a member of the church who really has an incredible story to tell, but they don't know how to tell it or they don't want to tell it and we just don't really know what to do, but we kind of feel these promptings, maybe like Lark felt or inspired to help share their story. What should we do? I think what really helped with me and Helga was I just told her so many times, you have a wonderful story. And when we hear that from someone else, it is easy to underappreciate our own life or the experiences we may have had. Certain stories are, seem to be more valued by certain people. And so that would be the first step just to say, your story really matters to me. I would hate for it to be lost. I think that's key. And then there's many ways you can approach it, but small bites make a big difference. If somebody will agree to talk to you for just a short period of time, it took a long time for all these stories to come out. But just start with, where is a time when you felt you couldn't go on? When is a time you felt rescued by the Lord? What was something that was so scary that you faced? And how did you get through it? Or asking them memories. When I speak about your childhood, what comes to mind? Or special occasions. We all have an attachment to relationships, to holidays, to big events. So helping somebody access those pieces of their lives, especially prayerfully, is a great way to get down below the surface to what's really meaningful. And then patience. We have so many great tools. I have to tell you, we had to use the little recording machines and little microphones, and we have this in our phone now. We can take a picture. We can get a short story and audio and at least store it someplace. I appreciate you sharing that because with Helga, she very obviously lived through significant periods of history for the world, of the church. And so it's hard for me to think that maybe the people around me or the things that are happening it, as history. It's hard for me to make that connection with history. But then we hear Jed saying, if you don't record it, nobody has it. And so I just appreciate that perspective. And it gives me a different way of looking at the people around me and the things that are happening around me. I think the biggest mistake that people make in approaching their own autobiography is that they don't make it easy enough for themselves. And I think Lark's questions are spot on. What we need to be recording is stories that really matter to us. 
And the keyword is story, not details or facts or what is your favorite color. So for a woman, it might be, tell me about the birth of your first child. That's such a powerful moment, a powerful story. And how many stories of births are lost because no one thought to ask, well, what was that like to learn that you were going to have a boy? Or what did you do to celebrate that occasion when you found out you were going to have a child? So the emotional valence surrounding the story is what you want to capture. The most powerful, important stories in a life deserve to be recorded. But often those are the very stories that we go to last. I will just interject that I don't think there is any life that isn't worth telling about. Helga was born in a unique time and place, but it's more getting to the story. Every life is significant and meaningful. And if we can hit it at these entry points, these meaningful points that Jed's talking about, then we can get something that's valuable to certainly family and oftentimes other people. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think for our listeners who are maybe inspired to go out and track down a neighbor or a fellow congregation member and talk to them, I think from what I'm hearing is that one of the keys is to ask the right questions and to be persistent, to be prepared to make it happen. And we're going to hear of other stories in this volume where people have been inspired to talk to someone and to record their stories which otherwise would mean that their story was lost and that it wouldn't be able to appear in Saints. So we have that to look forward to as the volume proceeds. Well, Jed, I love local history. I love understanding people. I love understanding communities. I love understanding settlements. And this book, as with the previous two books, is a book about people, is about communities. I wonder if you could tell us about how you find a balance between researching small individual groups of members, but then also try to balance it with large stories of church presidents and large international events? Well, that's a great question. The question of how you balance stories of church presidents and local communities. We know that it's very important to understand what is happening in Salt Lake and Latter-day Saints want to know what their prophets are revealing at any given time. What are they saying? And this goes for all of the general leaders, I think. So we can never go too far afield from general leaders. But we know that the church is larger than just leaders. The church is made up of all sorts of people around the world who have a relationship with the restored gospel. So in this volume, we were trying to capture the texture of being in a branch far from church headquarters. And we've talked about Tilsit being one of those places we wanted to take people inside of this branch that is in Germany. But we knew also that we needed a story of an American branch. And the reason for that is that there's a widespread movement of church members out of the Great Basin in the early 20th century. And we call that the out-migration, where members go out to far-flung communities. They go for reasons of school or they find a job. And so families are going outward, just as in the 19th century, they came to the Great Basin. Now they're going back out. And we wanted to show that movement happening. It just so happened that we had a couple of characters, Len and Mary Hope, African-Americans who were converted in Alabama 
And we learned that they moved to Cincinnati in the 1920s. And so that put Cincinnati on our radar because we wanted to return to the hopes. And we started investigating Cincinnati as a possibility. And we quickly found that the branch president in the 1920s and 1930s was a man named Charles Anderson who had migrated from Salt Lake with his wife, Christine. He'd gone to Cincinnati to start a business. And he wrote a memoir called 24 Years in Cincinnati. And I really don't think that we could find another branch president in this time who published a memoir. And it's a very detailed memoir. It's really a great document. So we said, well, let's go to Cincinnati as our out-migration story in the United States. And only later did I realize that we had a parallel structure going, which was really perfect for the volume. Tilsit and Cincinnati mirror each other. We're able to see two branches and how they function in parallel, but also we see the differences. And we also see those branches through young people. So in Tilsit, it's Helga Meitches, and in Cincinnati, it's Paul and Connie Bang, who are two teenagers who we follow over time. And so it turned out to be a lovely piece of poetry, I think, in the book, where we have these two spines that are the local branches, one in Germany and one in the Midwest United States. I love it. And I'm hoping that our readers and listeners will enjoy getting a sense of detail of what it meant to be a Latter-day Saint here in the 20th century. This is the volume, I think, that our readers and members of the church are going to know the least about. And hopefully these two arcs, the Cincinnati arc and the Tilsit arc, or Helga's arc at least, will help educate and inspire readers of saints. Well, Jed and Lark, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I so appreciate hearing from both of you and having such different perspectives that have really contributed to this story in Saints. So thank you again for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you took away some new insights into this volume. And we would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, questions, and insights from this chapter of Saints. And you can email saintspodcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. It would be great to hear from you.